VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, guys. I'm so excited to be here, John. Sorry, I made you laugh right Maybe, at the top. Yeah, I love it. Well, welcome to something new that we're doing here on Martinis and Murder. Yes. Well, it's our first ever Tipsy, tipsy Crime, Crime Tour. Tour. Ooh, I didn't even realize we were going to say it together. I didn't either. It just felt like the right place to do it. I, I love think, the name. I feel like we should do a shot every time we go to a new place. Oh, for sure. Can you do that? Yeah. Can you handle that? Oh, you mean on this, on this episode? Yeah. I don't think I can handle that, Darren. We well, both Johnny know boy, that. you can take half your shots. Okay, sounds good. Have you ever visited a city and wondered what kind of crimes and murders have gone down? Because I literally do this all the time. Yes, I'm me on the too. subway thinking about this. Me too. Well, look no further, everyone, because we've got you covered. We'll be giving you an audio tour of your favorite cities and some of the places we found to have the most disturbing crimes. And while, yes, anyone can listen to this episode, this is really meant to be an episode for someone visiting and checking out New York City. Which everyone should really do because, yes. you know, it's New York fucking city. And, and I've said this many times. And maybe you'll see us walking down the sidewalk. But remember, guys, if you're checking these places out, Please don't <laughs> trespass as horrible a person as I am. We uh -huh. don't want you guys to be horrible people. Right. So please stay on sidewalks. Be safe. Look both ways before crossing the street because cyclists always go the wrong way. Neither here nor there. I'm just saying. Also unicyclists. You just never know. You never know what you're going to see in the city. And honestly, John and I really aren't going to bail you out if you get in trouble. Right. We've done that for Matt too many times. Yes. So good luck. Well, that's right. And while you're running around New York City, be sure to check out our live show at the Death Becomes Us Festival at the Gramercy Theater on March 23rd. Have we hawked this enough? Tickets are available <laughs> at the link in our show notes, but you can also check out the full festival lineup at www.deathbecomesus.com. We're just so excited to do it. Absolutely. Well, for this episode, put on your headphones, lace up your walking shoes, and grab your subway card. We're hitting the streets of New York City as we narrate some of the creepiest and disturbing crimes that have gone down in the Big Apple. See, I wanted to walk, but you wanted to take a cab, John. So let's get in a cab here at 30 Rock where we're recording and head up to 1 West 72nd Street. Ah, uh, yes. Let's go. This location, which is situated on the west side of Central Park, is where legendary Beatles member John Lennon resided with his wife, Yoko Ono, and his son until he was murdered on December 8th, 1980. 
literally one of the saddest days, I think, of most of our Definitely. lives. His murderer, even though we weren't alive then, <laughs> right. we can look back on it and Shit. say that. His murderer, Mark David Chapman, was an enraged fan with schizophrenia who had a fierce liking to the classic American teen novel about alienation, The Catcher in the Rye. Chapman actually interacted with Lennon uh, the morning of the murder. Yeah, he spent the entire day outside watching the family exit the apartment building, even shaking the hand of Lennon's five-year-old son. I'm sorry. Can we stop there? Right. Like he's shaking the hand of his son, mm-hmm. like such a fan, doing everything. Like this is creepy. And he even got Lennon to sign his copy of the Double Fantasy album. Oh my god! When Lennon and Ono returned home later in the day, Chapman shot Lennon four times in the back with a thirty-eight caliber revolver. Strangely enough, Chapman didn't even run after the shooting. The doorman disarmed him, and when the police showed up, Chapman was eerily reading his favorite book. You know, I remember when we discussed this on Martinis and Murder how. Like the sentiment mm-hmm. overall was that he was pretty calm after what he yeah. did, you know? Which makes it like the weirdest thing in the world. Yeah. He read from this book yet again right before he received his final sentencing, 20 years to life in prison. He's not getting out. No. I he, feel like if he gets out, riots will break out, well, right? He was recently, I think, up for parole or something in the re- in recent years. Yeah. And I think it was denied. And yeah, he's, I'm not surprised. Right. I mean... Listen, we're at Central Park right now. What a beautiful building. What a beautiful location Mm -hmm. with such a tragic history, you know, and there's strawberry fields right across Mm -hmm. the street in Central Park. Please check it out. You can really sense, you know, I think Yoko's done a really good job of at least preserving his legacy and what he really brought. Mm -hmm. And even though you can't go inside to the Dakota because it's heavily guarded, Guarded, just try and, you know, stand across the street, really take in probably what was going down uh, during December 8th, 1980. Tragic. Uh, John, you ready for our next location? Yes, let's. Our next location takes us to 222 West 23rd Street. Darren, let's go. All right, we got to go downtown. Oh my God, we're in Chelsea. Yes, Darren. Welcome to Chelsea. Previously the home of stars like Bob Dylan and Patti Smith. My favorites. (laughs) Did that get you? It got me a little bit. That got you on this walking tour that we're doing. I love love when you add a little character. A little little flavor. Well, the Chelsea Hotel is also where young punk rock lovers Nancy Spungen and Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols were last seen alive together. Sid and Nancy, dude. A tale as old as time. time. On October 27, 1978, 20-year-old Spungen had been stabbed to death in the stomach and found in the bathroom floor of one of the hotel rooms. Her boyfriend, Vicious, called the hotel front desk at 10 a.m. that morning, two and a half hours after the sound of quote, female moans were heard by a guest in a nearby room. Now, the murder itself is a bit of a mystery, Darren. It was saying female moans hard for you? That was tough. That was hard for you? I should have assigned that for you. This is why we need to take a shot at every location, (laughs) because you really need to get your shit together. All right, sorry about that. Well, Vicious confessed to the murder initially, but he actually denied it, saying he had been asleep at the time of her death, which isn't implausible considering his major drug addiction that strengthened uh, while dating her. Now, keep in mind, the Hotel Chelsea See, like there are thousands. The Chelsea Hotel has thousands of people who are artists and very mm. like bohemian people staying there back in the seven. This was like right. older, kind of like grungier New York City. Not it, what it, it is today. Not what it is today. If you ever stay at the Chelsea Hotel, right? Um, Rockets Red Glare, a drug dealer. Great, love name. the name. 
Rocket's Red Glare is your porn name, John. Okay, sounds good. A drug dealer who had been supplying the opiates that evening is also seen as a potential suspect, according to the book Pretty Vacant, A History of Punk, that Red Glare had been heard admitting at a bar that mm-hmm. he had been robbed and actually stabbed Spongin. Oh. The murder, however, was never truly solved. Vicious was released from jail on $25,000 bail and died by heroin overdose the following year. Mm. So we're never going to really know the true story of uh, Sid and Nancy here. Yeah, it's interesting because I've passed by that location so many times living here over the last seven plus years and it's you it makes you wonder about all these different locations we're going to get to today like you've just walked by what used to be a murder scene history yeah. i mean even just and on history. the streets and, and you know you never really notice i mean like listen back when we were at the dakota it was so pretty yeah and to know that like one of I the know. most tragic things ever happened here is just terrifying absolutely well next darren we head back uptown a little bit to 560 west 43rd street not far from times square i really hope you're paying for my subway card here. Yeah, here we go. What was developed as a safe community for gays and drag queens ended up being remembered as a horrible memory, the death of Angel Melendez. Melendez was murdered by the king of the club kids, Michael Alleg, and his roommate Robert D. Freeze Riggs. Freeze is in quotes, of course. Uh Otherwise, that would be a cool, really, middle (laughs) name. Alleg and Melendez had an argument over drug money, which resulted in Melendez being assaulted and dismembered Mm. in the Manhattan apartment on March 17th, 1996. Alleg and Riggs were on drugs at the time, and the argument that had taken place had become quite violent. Riggs and Alec described the murder multiple times, saying Riggs hit Melendez on the head with a hammer. Alec doused the victim in household chemicals to cover up the smell and eventually disposed the body in the Hudson River after the corpse spent several days in the apartment decomposing, the corpse not being found until months later. Melendez was a drug dealer and Alec was considered a celebrity in the gay club scene, working as a downtown club promoter. Alec served 17 years for manslaughter while Riggs was released in 2000. 2010. And Darren, you know, you and I are obviously gay. We've I've been out in this area yeah. in Hell's Kitchen, I think. Is I used kind to of live this... right by there. I had oh, no idea you? that this went down wow. uh, this far over on the west side. West side, yes. Um, and, you know, it, listen, we're in like Hell's Kitchen area, I yeah. guess. It's it's Midtown West. Um, you know, this is just like 20 blocks north from the Chelsea Hotel yeah. where we just were. Yeah. Again, we're at 560 West 43rd Street. And I don't know. Who knew that this happened? I had absolutely no idea. I know. And, you know, there are a lot of, like, gay clubs over there now, and it's always been a sort of gay, you know, a gay neighborhood, I guess you could say, gay-friendly. A gayborhood. Yeah, a gayborhood, if you will. Yes. And I I knew some friends that lived there, and, you know, the 90s were a very different time for gay people in New York City. You know, the AIDS crisis was happening, and... I feel like it was totally different up until the past maybe 10 to 15 years or so. I mean, listen, even in the past five years, it's it's been entirely different, but it's such a different scene now. You know, again, we're talking about this happened on St. Patrick's Day, 1996. Right. So it's, exactly. it's completely different. Well, now we're going just a few blocks away over to 210 East 46th Street. We can probably walk from there. We're from definitely here, right? walking, sweetie. Okay. We're New Yorkers. Oh, got it. Okay. I, I wanted to get a, an Uber, but we should take the subway. Giddy up, sweetie. Okay. Let's here, go. Here we go. On December 16, 1985, Mafia underboss Salvatore Gravano and John Gotti sat in a car as their associates shot their crime family boss, Paul Castellano, and his close aide, Thomas Bellotti, to death. Gravano and Gotti, the leaders of this slaughter, were parked right outside of Sparks Steakhouse, giving orders via walkie-talkie to their gunmen. I will say, every time I see a steakhouse... You think of this? I... 
Oh, I just like assume something bad happened. That's They're true. so dark and expensive and like everyone's wearing like white coats and it's just like, it's too much for me. I can't handle it. it. It's all, it reminds me of bad things. The murderers were allegedly executed for reasons of greed and fear in relation to drug dealing disputes, typical justifications given by those involved in the mafia. Essentially, Murder was the only way to confirm that Gotti would be the new boss. Gravano was released from prison in not too long ago, yeah. in 2017, after serving 17 years. Gotti was actually sentenced to life in prison without parole, but he actually died in prison in 2002 due to lung cancer. Well, have you seen the Gotti movie with John Travolta? It came out a couple years ago, maybe I, a year ago. You know, I should have because... Relating back to Bravo, as you know that I do, uh-huh. one of our Bravo people on Vanderpump Rules dates and is engaged to the producer uh, of that movie. Well, it all no, comes back to Bravo. Well, no offense, but it wasn't a great movie. I heard yeah, it wasn't amazing. I heard it wasn't that amazing. Yeah, so that's why you're that's why you're taking it in on this walking tour. <laughs> well, we couldn't do a New York City walking tour if we didn't mention the gaudy scenario. Well, we obviously had to, but let's get out of here because it's creeping me out, or I'm really really hungry and I can't really tell. So yeah. we're just gonna jump out of Manhattan, just a few miles away, in good old Queens at 8270 Austin Street. Listen, that's really far away. Can we just fly this time? Yeah, let's drone it over. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, actually, let's crane over. Perfect. Burr. Megan, make a crane sound. <laughs> All right, here we are in Queens, brand new. And let me just say this, you know, before we got here, Uh we told Megan, our producer, what we were doing. And she said she lived right by here and knew about this case happening. You mean on the crane over because we were being craned? Yeah, we were being on the crane over. I called her. Right. I said, Megan, Megan, what the hell? We're in the middle of the sky on a crane. And she was like, I know what the fuck you're talking about. It was basically, for those of you who don't know, we were, it was like a toy machine. We got two atomic wedgies. Over the East River uh-huh. into Queens. Straight into Queens. Wow. Imagine if everyone could do that. I know. Just two gays being crane into Queens. <laughs> Lucky us. Not the first time. Lucky us. One of the most famous New York City murder cases took place right in front of this Queens apartment building in the early hours of March 13th, 1964. Megan was not alive during this time. We can confirm. As far as we know. The killing was a nightmare. Bar manager Kitty Genovese, I'm sure you guys have heard of her. It was recently displayed in Netflix show called The Witness, mm-hmm. had been returning from work when she was stabbed by a man with a knife right by her front door. The culprit had fled the scene briefly when a neighbor yelled for him to stop, but once Genovese dragged herself to the back of her apartment building where she could not be seen, can you believe this? She dragged I know, herself. This is insane. The man came back to stab and rape her Ugh. as well as take her money. I mean, this is, it's a common thing in psychology, you know, the, mm-hmm. the thing that came out about this was that sort of everyone had heard and everyone just sort of assumed the other person was going to call the cops, but they didn't. Right. And bystander effect. And it was, I feel like that happens a lot in New York city because people don't want to get involved in anything crime related, you know, bystanders at least. Yeah. And I guess they just kind of assume that there is a good Samaritan out there, you know, like right. I've seen things before and I'm like, do I, mm-hmm. but this person, you know, it's hard totally. to say. Well, Genevieve's unfortunately died on her way to the hospital. The police spent some time interrogating Genevieve's girlfriend, though neighbors expressed that the woman's sex life seemed to be more of the authorities' interest as opposed to the murder. Again, different 
time. Yeah. In the end, Winston Mosley was arrested and confessed to the murder, being sentenced to death that same year, although the sentence was eventually reduced to a life sentence instead. By this point, he had confessed to multiple other rapes and two additional murders. The murder has been credited as one of the pushing factors leading to the creation of the emergency 911 system. I mean, listen, a positive thing has come out out of it. You know, and to be honest with you, I'm glad that Winston had at least confessed, I hope truthfully, to the other murders and rapes that he had done because that way at least the family can get justice and that they know that they're behind bars. You know, I always wonder how many criminals are behind bars Mm -hmm. that aren't admitting to the things... Yeah. That they've done, which would give justice and closure to a lot of families. And remember, this was before DNA was even a thing. 100%. So for this to, you know, for this kind of justice to happen. So something good happened from it, at right. least. Uh, well, now we're going to take the subway over okay. to the one station square here in Queens, which isn't too far from here. Johnny, give me a piggyback ride over there. Okay, hop on. All right, thank you. Thanks. One of the first Forest Hills murders executed by the Son of Sam serial killer took place in front of Station Square, just across the street from Forest Inn. 26-year-old Christine Freund was shot and killed in a parked car on January 30th, 1977. Yeah, Her fiancé, John Deal, had almost been shot but survived the attack. The murderer, veteran and USPS mail sorter David Berkowitz, terrorized the New York City boroughs of the Bronx, Brooklyn, and Queens with his various shootings between July 1970 and 1977, killing six people and wounding an additional seven. He actually called himself Son of Sam. I'm sure that at least in pop culture, nomenclature, you've heard of Son of Sam. Yeah. Although the name 44 caliber killer was another alias mm. actually created by the media. I didn't realize that. I think it's lesser well known because yeah. I've only heard 44 caliber killer very, very rarely. Well, I think Son of Sam is just has taken over. I was going to say Son of Sam just rolls right off the tongue. It really does. Yeah. Well, the serial killer is actually serving six six consecutive life sentences, uh, though sticks to his claim that the murders were done because the voices in his head told him to commit these crimes. Again, this kind of goes back to a lot of the cases that we d- we talk about. And, you know, yeah. when, when we joke that I have like these empathy for people, <laughs> yeah, sure. but... Obviously, I think if you're murdering someone and it's not self-defense, there has to be something off a little bit. And, you know, what do we do with someone who maybe he does have voices in his head telling him to kill him? Is uh, is he completely innocent of it? Is he 100 percent guilty of committing this? Is jail really the right place for him? For someone like him, yeah. Obviously a a monster, but just like, Mm -hmm. what do we do with that? And can you imagine if you were the son of a man named Sam? This must be a really difficult thing for you. Well, I'm just son of Sam. Yeah, it's crazy. It's bad enough to say I gotta be podcast partners with John. Well, there's that. I know. It's just because Matt's not here, so I'm picking on (laughs) you. But you you know, I really love you. You have to direct your picking on to me, and I totally get it. It's fine. I have a feeling that at one of these locations, we're just gonna see, like, Matt galloping along in the back. I'm sure of it. Yeah, okay. All right, Darren. Well, we're heading back into Manhattan now. We're off to 129 Spring Street in the Soho neighborhood. Oh, let's do a little shopping on our way. Yes. All right, here we are in Soho. I'm sure you've noticed how glorious the shopping is, how oh, amazing yes. the streets are. I've already bought sunglasses and a new fur coat. Um, but let's continue on. Yes, on let's. December 22nd, 1799. So Soho, 
I imagine looked a little different back then. I was going to say, then. was it even a thing back then? So December 22nd, 1799, Guillermo Sands was drowned in the Manhattan well. Oh. This is like when they had wells here. Right. The suspect had been Levi Weeks, her secret fiance. Testimonies during the trial included seeing Sands with torn clothing, with scratches and bruises on her body, including a set of bruises around her neck mm. that could be implicit of a strangling. In the end, however, the judge ruled that Weeks was not guilty due to insufficient evidence. Well, this was the first murder case in American history to be editorialized by New York City newspapers and the first to be transcribed. So a couple of firsts here. Yeah, seriously. Think about how many crimes get editorialized on a daily basis now. Okay, the fact that it was 1799. Well, right. I mean, we had just gained independence. I was going to say, we were barely a country back right. then. Levi Weeks's defense team consisted of none other than Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Byrd. Talk about a dream team. I mean, yeah, seriously. Despite walking free, Weeks was forced to leave New York City as the major public opinion was that he was the murderer. So it's just interesting how like, you know, that's kind of the 1799 version of Twitter, right. like shaming you that so sure. much that you have to leave, you know, like and listen, shaming people, whether or not Out in a court of, of law is really it's a thing that still happens. For and sure. I think people want to change their lives because of it. And, you know, way before social media or anything like this happened, it just goes to show the power of, I think, of people's opinions. But I, I completely agree with fucking you. Fucking Hamilton and Burr. I mean, and then Burr kills Hamilton in a duel. Who would have known that a couple hundred years later the we history. have Hamilton, the musical just up the street. All right. I know that you're a little <laughs> tired. I'm so tired. We're going to grab a slice. All right. But now we're going to head our back uptown, all right? This uh -huh. time to the Harlem neighborhood. Oh, well, you know, Darren, I used to live in Harlem, but this next one takes place in 1913, and I am sure it was a very different neighborhood. I imagine yeah, so. Yeah, let's head on up. So here we are at 68 Bradhurst Avenue. Where did you live? Did you live around here? Not quite near here, but nearby. Okay, let's go, yeah. go knock on the door where you used to live and be like, listen. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice. In the rear third floor of this New York City apartment, Anna Amuller, a 20-year-old pregnant church employee, was murdered in her own home. A butchery described by the inspector at the time as one of a, quote, most revolting nature. Amuller was clobbered by her fellow St. Bonafide church member, Father Hans Schmidt, a priest whom she had been having an affair with. I mean... Talk about drama I over mean, here. anything that involves like a sex scandal in religion always ends up being very salacious. Right. On September 2nd, 1913, Father Schmidt dismembered Amiller's body into several pieces and dumped them into the Hudson River after separating them into Ugh. packaged bundles. But he's a man of God. Uh-huh. Though he was rather talented at acting as insane for a possible attempt at an insanity defense, he was still found guilty and spent his time in the tombs. That is... Until his luck ran out and he was sentenced to death by electric chair Ugh. for another murder. And this time it was of a little girl. Oh my Father gosh. Schmidt is the only Catholic priest to ever be sentenced to death for his crimes. That last line was very interesting to me because you don't really associate priests with a lot of these types of crimes, I should say. So to be, you know, sentenced I mean, to the electric chair. Usually they're pretty chair. holy and men yeah. of God. I'm pretty sure that murder is illegal in anything. But also, right. like, let's not, let's not even just say he dismembered her. That's specifically like, this disgusting. Is, this yeah. is deliberate and this is terrible and horrible and just yeah. really, really bad. For some reason, and this is not a good joke, but I was, I was reading, um, 
Lenny Bruce's autobiography. Uh-huh. And he makes this famous joke back in like the 60s where he says, if Catholicism was like a contemporary thing, a lot of Catholic girls would just be wearing electric chairs around their necks. Uh, like if Jesus died today, oh. they would be wearing electric chair around their neck as opposed to crosses. And like, it's a good joke, but it's like, there's something so eerie with religion yeah. and like death. It like really creeps me out. And especially in 1913, where I feel like religion was even more kind just of dark to me. Yeah, it just, yeah. it, it scares me. Yeah. Um, all right, John, are you ready yes. to continue on or do you want to go to bed? You want to go uh, home? I'm getting sleepy, but where are we heading next? I guess well, we're going to take the subway back downtown again. And this time to the NoHo area near Washington Square Park. We're really taking you all over here today. Uh, yes, I love this park. I got in my first New York City fight here trying to wrestle a guy for a cab. Is that where it happened? Yeah, it was right around here. This this is a very good NYU area. Um, well, hopefully you don't end up fighting anyone unless it's me, yeah. in which case I'll kill you. Okay, great. Yep. Let's head down there now. All right, here we are, 2329 Washington Place. Is this bringing back um, some, like, heated memories for a you, John? A little bit. I'm, not, I'm a lover, not a fighter, so to be back in this area is definitely cathartic in a way. Okay, yeah. just don't take it out on me. Okay, I won't. I'm sure you guys have heard of us. The, the Triangle Shirtwaist Company factory fire is one of the most infamous incidents in American history due to not only its high death toll of 145 workers, but also the fact that it was a huge sign that the industrial workplace lacked proper safety safety features that could have prevented most of the deaths, which just Mm. makes it that much worse. On March 25th, 1911, the building caught fire and the factory consisted of the top three floors of the Ash Building. Yeah, the working conditions were poor as the sweatshop hired young immigrant women who were limited to just one fully operational elevator that had access to the factory floors. Oh, God. The jarring spectacle of teenage girls jumping from high story windows shocked many passersby. The owners, though evidently negligent during the fire were not indicted on manslaughter charges. However, the massacre did lead to the development of much-needed worker safety reform. Okay, so to be fair, granted, another good thing had sort of come out of this, and it's hard to say, like... We're talking about, you know, the early sort of aughts. It's 1913, 1911. You know, what do they really know about safety and elevators back then? Obviously, this would have never passed muster today. Today, But it's just kind of hard to say, like... Was it ignorance or did they kind of know what they were doing? Well, definitely. Like here we are a hundred years later and we are quite further along as a society and it's too bad that it had to happen. I've noticed over the years of us doing this podcast, unfortunately, a lot of things sort of have to happen like this for everyone to learn from them. Right. It took till now kind of thing. It took till now. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get the hell out of here because I'm (laughs) burning up. Well, Darren, our next stop takes us to Brooklyn uh, where you and I have both spent a lot of time. Yeah. But actually, I've never seen a murder or crime around me, so So I don't really know what's going to happen, but let's go there? Let's go. All right. All right, here we are at 205 Knickerbocker Avenue, probably my favorite avenue. Is that right? Just because you get to say Knickerbocker? Because I say it's a Knickerbocker. I'm a Knicks fan. Oh. It feels very New York, you know, Knickerbocker Hotel. True. Anyway, neither here nor there. Right. This case has all the inner workings of a proper mafia murder, and it shows in the findings of multiple suspects who had killed mafia boss Carmine Galante at a small Italian-American restaurant in Bushwick, which is right near Williamsburg, where I spent a lot of time, yep. on July 12th 
1910. Galante was shot multiple times with the murder being ruled as assassination. Yeah, the three ski mask killers were found and identified, though there is the possibility that infamous mafia hitman Richard Kuklinski, also known as the Iceman, had also been involved. I imagine with a last name like Kuklinski, you're probably going to want a cool nickname. You're going to need a nickname. Yeah. Yeah. The possibilities of who may have had a hand in the murder from the decision to the execution remain seemingly endless. When it comes to killing a mafia boss man, police are fully aware that this is never a one-person job. Wow. So a lot of mafia-related things going well, on in New, New York. York. Yeah, yeah. I, like, now I have a hankering for like steak and Me like too. constant meatballs Just, or something. I mean, listen, we're going to go to Taco Bell because we're not dumb. Right. But like in theory, <laughs> if we were dumb, we would go get like pasta and meatballs or yeah, steak or something like I that. I completely agree. I'm a little tired. Uh, I'm, I'm like exhausted. We didn't choose like the quickest route. I felt like no. we were we were very much so up and down and over into the side. Yeah. But I was just trying to get you out of the house for as long as possible. That was my bad. Yeah. No, I'm sorry I get to it. the listeners who actually followed our route. It was really a sick joke I was trying to play on John. Well, I just particularly love the part where we were in the crane. You know, it was nice just to be craned across yeah, the city. Yeah, it hurt city. a little bit. The wedgie was not fun. Oh, my goodness. It was goodness. an atomic one. I'm still not recovered. Yeah. Well, now I know you don't wear underwear. Right. Which was bad. <laughs> um, but that was so much fun, John. Thank yes. you for taking Thank this you. walk down, uh, you know, crimery lane Crimery with me. lane. Um, and remember, guys, don't trespass on private property because yes. we don't want to have to be talking about you on this crime tour in a, in a year. Stand on the sidewalks. Be safe. Yeah. Like, listen, take pictures. Get into trouble. Just not anything that can lead back to us right. being responsible for this. Thank you know you, what Darren. I mean? Like, do it on your own time, guys. Because as you said at the top of the show, we are not coming to bail you out if you get in Hell trouble. Hell no. We're going to Taco Bell where we're going to spend all of our money. Precisely. Yeah, sponsor us. Well, if you have a city that you'd like us to tour, let us know. Message us at at martinis underscore murder on Twitter or hit us up in our official Facebook group, all located in the show notes of this episode. I don't know. I could see doing this all over the country. Would be fun. But as we always say, murder happens everywhere. It's not recession proof. So <laughs> I, I say we take this on, on on tour. I love it. Are you ready to go to Taco Bell now? Yes, but the subway just kind of smells like cheese and sawdust. So Ew. why don't we take the crane back? Like we did earlier? Yeah. All right. All right. We'll Lift s- us up. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.